Thank you for listening to Value-Based Care Insights, a podcast by Lumina Health Partners. I'm your host, Shelley Chopra. This series is for healthcare leaders and organizations navigating the journey to value-based care and ever-changing landscape of our healthcare industry. And boy, that could not hold more true than the times we are in right now. Our goal in this series is to bring to you disruptive success strategies for healthcare organizations leveraging our experience and having worked with some of industry's top experts and thought leaders. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to invite you to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think about the episode and questions that are top of your mind. With that, I'd like to welcome my co-host, Dan Marino, managing partner at Lumina and an industry thought leader in value-based care. Dan, welcome. Hi, Shelley. Dan, as our healthcare organizations navigate the sustainment and adapting to our changing situations with COVID-19, financial sustainment and recovery of the revenue that has been lost is certainly top of mind for all our healthcare executives. With the shifts that have occurred in recent months, there is even more pressure on our organizations to manage the cost margins, which have certainly gone up with the treatments they had to provide to COVID patients and shifts they had to make in their setup. And really what they're mostly struggling with is how do they recover the lost revenue? How do they optimize the cost? And I'm quite excited about our guest today, who I know is going to bring to the table some very practical strategies on how to really manage the cost and the revenue component for the organizations, especially in today's environment. In my mind, it requires almost like a multidimensional look at cost and revenue. But before we dive into the conversation with today's guest, Dan, I'm interested to know what are you hearing from your colleagues across the country? Well, Shelley, in talking with many organizations around the country, as as you pointed out, there's a tremendous amount of financial strain that they're undertaking, especially with the small to mid-sized hospitals. You know, as we all know, in March and April and even into early May, elective surgeries either stopped or significantly decreased. And in many of these hospitals, it decreased revenue anywhere between 30 to 70%. So it's placed tremendous financial strain on these hospitals. Plus, to kind of add to it, even before COVID, many of the small to mid-sized hospitals only were projecting an operating margin of maybe 1% to 3%. So when you figure in the decrease in the revenues related to the absence of of some of the elective surgeries, the financial pressures on these hospitals are absolutely enormous. They really need some help, some guidance as to how they can get back on track and really reposition themselves moving into 2021. Absolutely, Dan. And, you know, as we we navigate this environment, What's needed is really some very practical approaches on how to manage the cost and revenue. Shelley, I'm really excited today to have Steve Berger with us. Steve is a former CFO and has worked with many organizations around the country and helping to improve their financial performance. In Steve's 30-year-plus career, he's worked with many CFOs on cost management, improving margin, repositioning a lot of these organizations for success. Steve, welcome. Thank you, Dan. So Steve, as as I was mentioning to Shelley, in talking with many of the CFOs across the country, you know, a lot of them are, are worried on how they get back on track. And it's interesting because, you know, some of the larger health systems who have a strong balance sheet, 
they're able to, I think, to recover. I think they have the assets and the ability to overcome some of the challenges. But the small to mid-sized hospitals are the ones that are really struggling. What are you hearing or what are you seeing is, you know, as you've reached out to some of your colleagues across the country? Well, Dan, it's true that there are a number of different uh, outcomes happening right now across the country within the 5,000 or so hospitals. And this podcast is titled One Size Does Not Fit All. And the point of that is we have the big hospitals, we have the health systems, we've got smaller hospitals. Boy, we've got 25 beds and under. We've got 25 to 100, 100 to 250, 250 to 500, bigger, bigger. So you've got size difference. One size doesn't fit all. But there are so many other elements that create the one size does not fit all category. And it's important to recognize that because the listeners today could be in any one of these categories. For instance, we've got the size issue. We've got whether they're a system or not a system, whether they're not for profit or for profit, whether they have existing bond debt or don't have existing bond debt. What about the demographics? We've got urban, rural, suburban, very different environments, very different. And of course, now in the COVID era, we've got the level of the level of COVID exposure and capacity issues throughout the organization, whether it be the emergency room, the ICUs, the COVID units. It's very different. Every single hospital has different outcomes based upon this. So important to understand how the financial outcomes will be affected by the difference in their look and how they then choose to go about making, taking actions and making changes. You know, you bring up a great point. There are so many factors that influence these hospitals. Some of the hospitals are in these COVID hotspots where they're really having to, to manage, you know, now even the, the new surges. Some of them are impacted by significant, say, changes in reimbursement activity from their commercial carriers. Some of them really just challenged on trying to create some confidence back with the patients to, to really re-engage on some in-person visits and some elective surgeries. I think as organizations start to think about how they recover, they absolutely have to take all those considerations into, into effect and really put that in their planning process. I completely agree. And while we're, we're going to talk a little bit over the rest of the podcast, about certain key performance indicators, KPIs, metrics, measures, however you like to call them. I wanna point out something that was just published in Modern Healthcare on uh, their August 5th, 2020 edition. The article is titled, Government Funds and Expense Cuts Are Behind the For-Profit Hospitals Q2 Profit Growth. All four of the major investor-owned hospitals Tenet, Community Health Systems, HCA, and Universal Health Systems all made money from April 1st to June 30th. The heart, the original heart of the COVID era. How's that possible? When you go around the country and you hear a number of hospital CFOs and CEOs talking about how their margin is going to be down 5%, 10%, 15%, 20%, how is it possible that these for-profit, investor-owned hospitals made money in this era? Well, it's very clear. There is a chart that is astonishing in this article. 
they have a chart for each of for each of the four companies. They talk about revenue change, expense change, and net income change. For tenant, they had a minus 20% revenue change and an, ex an expense change of minus 11%. Okay, so in that case, they had more they had more revenue cuts than they had expense cuts, yet they had a net income change of 238%. For community hospital, here's where it gets more interesting. For community health systems, they had a 23% revenue decrease, but a 30% expense increase for 142% net income change. HCA had a 12% revenue reduction in that quarter, but a 16% expense change for 37% increased net income. And UHS had a 4%, only a 4% negative revenue, but they cut expenses five and a half percent for five percent income change. Astonishing, these are large systems. When you add up the number of hospitals amongst these four, I'm gonna take a quick guess here at um, four or 500, let's call it 500 hospitals of those 5,000. They all made money, but, the, but many in the rest of the industry were saying that they were having some significant problems. Yes, the revenue went down, but, and here's the big one, expenses did not go down more than the income went down. Now, I'm not a believer that you can cut dramatically all the time to achieve revenue reductions. However, they did it. The proof is in the pudding. They did it in that quarter at the heart of the COVID era. Now, it's true that the revenue change was mitigated, but that's true of most of the hospitals around the country. The issue is, how did they really do it? Right. The article makes it clear that they had the ability to flex their expenses more dramatically than, than was thought possible. Yes, it can be done. It's true that with when you look at the KPIs in operating margin and total margin, you can see how well or how not so well hospital management did. Some did better than others. We're here today to quickly talk about the fact that it can be done. You just have to have the will yeah. to do it. Well, and I think the, the plan, I think the big takeaway, as you described from the article, in my mind, is those organizations anticipated a shift in their revenue, but they also took proactive steps to reduce their costs and to reduce their expense structure. So, you know, when, when I'm having conversations with folks around the country, it's, it's clear that a financial recovery plan has to be in place. Mm -hmm. And that financial recovery plan, and I think you're, you know, this is kind of what you've been highlighting in the article, really has to include a margin analysis that really takes a deep dive look at how we can realign our costs and in particular reduce those costs and where you reduce, but also to look at the revenue side and to anticipate either based on volume or additional revenue streams coming from the payers or what have you, what the revenue impact's going to be. And if you're able to take both of those together within your plan, you can start to create a roadmap that's going to improve that financial performance. Completely true, completely true. And 
This is even before we get to some of the more advanced revenue enhancement techniques uh, before that. <laughs> this is just standard financial management. Yeah. So one of the things, Steve, that I've heard from folks is that, you know, when I, when I was talking to some of the CFOs in May and even early June, you're right, the government did give funding. And so for many of these hospitals, their cash flow actually looked pretty good. What they were concerned about were their debt obligations. So from a balance sheet perspective, they didn't look too good because, of course, they're going to have to pay some of those, those dollars back. Kind of talk a little bit about some of the KPIs or the approaches that, you know, that you've used or that you've worked with CFOs to kind of have them manage or anticipate either their cash on hand or project repayment of their debt obligations. You know, this is what's keeping some of these CFOs up at night is they're not going to have the cash to pay their bills. That's right. That's exactly right. So some of the KPIs I particularly like, straightforward financial KPIs, would be long-term debt to capitalization ratio, which allows CFOs and the board members and any um, people out there who might be looking to <laughs> issue more debt to these organizations. It allows them to see whether what their what their debt looks like in relation to their overall capitalization. They can tell whether or not they're in a good place or not such a good place. So I like that one. And on the balance, again, another balance sheet KPI is days cash on hand. Let's talk about days cash on hand, for, for example. It's one of my favorite, if you can have a favorite, nerd alert, favorite uh, financial KPIs. Uh, yep. uh, days cash on hand allows you to see how much cash you have in relation to your daily cash outlays. And that's all of your cash outlays, labor supplies, et cetera, does not include depreciation because it's not a daily, it's not an outlay that you have to make, it's depreciation. So having said that, what it, a typical benchmark would look like, a median of 50th percentile would be about, across all rating agencies, across all ratings, about six months, 180 days, 190 days. If you have six months cash on hand, consider this. We're now in the fifth month or so of the COVID issue. If you had six months and you had no income, no cash coming in whatsoever, you could have continued your operations with zero additional income and still perhaps be able to come out the other side. Not what I'm stressing, but it does allow you, if you build up that, that cash, and that cash can be in in a short-term cash, or of course it could be an investment income that you can convert back to cash right away. If you can do that, if you have that, you're going to do much better in terms of taking a deep breath and making better plans, better financial plans in where you want to go. What it does is it, you know, it helps then the CFOs begin to kind of manage that component of their operation. And as you said, really begin to project it. And then they also can look at other things that will not only allow them to, you know, obviously reduce some of their operating expenses, but as one of the CFOs said to me, money's cheap right now. 
all of the CFOs who have debt obligations should be really going out to the, their banks or to the market and talking about how they can refinance a lot of their debt obligations to really reduce some of their liabilities. But as you said, it really comes down to managing that cash on hand. And at least for the, the short-term foreseeable future, in my mind, that has to be one of the major components that we think about in a recovery plan. Uh, absolutely true. And again, the, the debt to capitalization ratio would allow them to go to their banks if they can go, uh, go get cheaper money. That would be great. Cheaper money means cheaper cash. Yes. Now, I've been yeah. preaching for 30 or more years, cash is king. I didn't coin that phrase, but it's very true. The rating agencies believe in it. They rate heavily how much cash an organization has. Why? Because it would allow them to pay back any debt obligations. That's what the rating agencies really care about. Having said that, interesting that it's not just hospitals, but it's all industries that believe cash is king. So again, let me just highlight an article from Wall Street Journal, June 21st of 2020. The headline is, Cash Remains King as Companies Close a Dismal Second Quarter. Okay, yeah, as they close the second quarter, which hasn't been reported yet in this particular case, it was late June, uh, the quarter would have closed on June 30th. But they talk about things like Hilton sold loyalty points for cash so that they could put more cash on their balance sheet. Lenar, the home builder, Lenar, stopped buying land. So they kept their cash on the balance sheet. They didn't yeah. go for additional assets. They kept the cash. Yeah, I think that's really the bottom line. Again, I think as part of the plan, CFOs really do have to think about how they increase their cash position so they can, you know, obviously manage their operations because we don't know what's going to happen in the next three to six months. And, and even beyond that, if there is going to be a reemergence of, of even a larger surge in the fall. So I think that planning is really key. One area I want to touch on, and, you know, I, I know you've, um, have, and are in the process of, of writing an article um, that's talking about financial recovery. Mm -hmm. I'm excited to be able to, um, to send this article out to our, our listeners that, you know, it's going to be on the Lumina website and the insight page. But one of the things that you've mentioned in the article is two other indicators around operating margin percentage and total margin percentage. And what caught my attention around those two is it allows the CFOs to work with the hospital operators to really begin to realign some of their operational activities, reduce some of their expenses, and then more importantly, begin to manage some of that. Talk a little bit about some of those approaches. I, I was really interested in those two concepts. Well, operating margin percentage is clearly the one number that almost everybody focuses on, or everybody focuses on it. I mean, I just talked about the article with the for-profit investor-owned hospitals and how their margins were positive positive in, as we say, in the black rather than in the red, which would be a loss. Well, they were in the black. How did the rest of the industry do? Some made money. Many, I think we're going to find out soonish, many lost money. I think we're going to find that out as other reports are done for, for the end of the, the second, end of the second quarter. quarter. Of course, the investor owns had to report uh, for their requirements, their reporting requirements as, as Fortune 500 companies, but, uh, or stock exchange companies. But the not-for-profits don't necessarily have to all report that 
broadly that openly. They have bonds, they do. But I think we're gonna find the operating margin is in many cases is going to be in the red because unlike the investor-owned companies, they did not flex down their costs as rapidly, drastically, and dramatically, as it actually says in the article, the drastic cuts, because they want to show profitability, even in a bad situation. Yeah. Operating margin allows you to see that, and it allows you to trend it across time, your own actual to actual, or against the benchmark. How did you do against the benchmark? Well, which benchmark which benchmark are you using? Are you looking at uh, hospitals that look like you size-wise, um, urban, rural, suburban? Are you looking at that? Or are you looking against the investor-owned hospitals? Do you wanna make money? Is it okay not to make money? If it's okay to lose some money in this time by not flexing down so dramatically, what's the right number? What does the board say? We're comfortable with losing if that's what they actually want to say well and I if think i were a board member i would take that very seriously that question and try to look at what can we do and where do we want to be in terms of this time period operating margin percentage analysis lets you do that i think it also provides a balance to you know, the, the finance leaders as to how much they need, how much cost they actually do need to reduce or, cost, or, or cut. You know, and one of the CFOs said to me, you know, um, our operating margin dipped from 2% to we're projecting, you know, a negative 10 to even maybe a negative 12% for this year. We can't cut enough costs mm -hmm. to make up for that margin. So I would think the total you know, margin percentages, as you had mentioned, not only has to focus on how much cost, but really has to focus on that revenue recovery. So almost creating a bit of a sensitivity analysis to say, all right, if, if we're able to recoup some of our revenue and, you know, maybe it's through negotiating with some of the commercial carriers, commercial carriers has been, you know, on, in many articles are actually looking really good from a cash standpoint from the second quarter, because they've not had to pay any claims out yet, they're still getting all the premiums from the employers. So, you know, as you start to think about the revenue recovery from that, and then obviously increases in volume from recouping some of the elective surgery activity, I think that percentage allows you an opportunity to think about how much, to, how much cost to cut and where specifically to cut from. That's correct. So, look, when we talk about margin, there's only two ways to influence the margin. Two ways and two ways only. It's on revenue enhancements or expense reductions. Those are only two ways. Revenue minus expenses equals the margin. So, what do you want to do? If revenues go down, if you want to maintain the margin, which is the third variable, which is the outcome of the two variables, then there's only the only, then you can either, then you, if the more revenue goes down, then you have to cut the cost. If you believe that you can increase, increase revenue, great. How are you going to do it? How long is it going to take? How much is it going to be? 
when you answer those questions, then you can determine where your cost, where your cost cut would be. Now, I want to, you to remember the article, the Modern Healthcare article. The investor-owned leadership said, okay, we are going to have a 15, a 20% reduction, 11% uh, reduction, a 5% reduction, whatever that number is. They put a number out there in their minds back in March, early April, and said, we, we, can, we, we can mitigate to this amount of, of revenue reduction. That's what we think it's going to be. For now, in the short term, we can only do this much. So therefore, we're going to have to do the, on the other side, the cost side. So I totally endorse, let's go for additional revenues, but let's figure out how long it's going to take, how much it's going to be. I'd like to, I'd like to make a historical point here. I've been in the industry over 40 years. So I've lived through a number of L, uh, issues throughout the time. In 1983, we had DRGs come in. There were a lot of people who said the sky is falling. Well, back then, a lot of hospitals around the country spent two or three years of losses because they couldn't figure out how to work the DRG revenue side of things. On the other hand, that became an incredibly great opportunity at the time for investor-owned hospitals. They made a pile of money, and pile of money is a technical term, just so you know. Um, they, they made so much money. The same thing happened, similar thing happened in 1997 with the Balanced Budget Act. Again, these were cuts by the government in this case to Medicare, and many hospitals took that cut and they, at that point, took that revenue cut, and they didn't quite take the kind of cuts they needed on the expense side to mitigate losses. It took them a few years to figure it out. We've had a, a really devastating quarter, and we're in the second quarter right now, the third quarter of 2020, July through September, where it's not necessarily getting much better, and, Oops, many hospitals may have to start paying back some of the accelerated Medicare payments. So as leaders, as hospital leaders, you have to take a look at further cuts on the cost side, unless you can figure out other places to get revenues. Dan, you mentioned the, uh, on the revenue side, uh, negotiation with payers. I know that Lumina has some significant expertise in this area. And yes, it's really possible to go there. There's also clinical variation issues that you can look at to enhance your Medicare payments or your other Medicare and commercial payments uh, because you're doing certain good business in those areas. Yeah, and I think too, I mean, just building on that, you know, revenue cycle management is another great opportunity for organizations um, as they think about some of their, their revenue recovery. Well, Steve, you brought up a couple of really key points that I think are critical to leaders as they're starting to put together their financial recovery plan. You know, I particularly like what you said around, you know, one size does not fit all. Organizations have to think about their market, 
what are some of the drivers as they start to think about managing both the COVID and the non-COVID patients, responses to their payers, and even you know what's occurring with, with the community and with the employers. But I think an important point that resonated with me is that cost reduction is absolutely critical. Mm-hmm. And leaders have to be very proactive in how they're managing costs, but also I feel need to be pragmatic as how they do it too, in making sure that it's aligned with their volume as well as, as revenue. And then, you know, lastly, we all, when we are thinking about, you know, improving margin, we all focus on reducing costs. It's the, it's the main area we want to focus on, but we have to give some consideration to revenue and how we increase the revenue. Because at the end of the day, it's about margin improvement, not just about cost reduction. Well, that's, that's right. And if I may, let me make a couple of closing points here, I think. One is that, as we said, one size does not fit all. So I know that I've, I've mentioned the investor-owned side um, a, a number of times here. Um, and I recognize in the what size fits all, they are, those are four big systems with deep pockets. Uh, if we're talking now to the critical access hospitals who might be still independent, uh, or a 50-bed hospital, or a 100-bed hospital, or a 200-bed hospital that is still independent, they don't have the same kind of, of financial wherewithal. They simply don't have it to, um, to do some of the things that the investor owns may have done in flexing up, flexing down, et cetera. So I recognize that. So they have to look at both sides for margin, the revenue side and the cost side. The other thing I want to mention is quickly, the, we talked about operating margin percentage, but the total margin percentage equal is the operating margin percentage, revenues minus expenses, plus other operating revenue. And in this case, the other, um, I'm sorry, the non-operating revenue. And in this case, the non-operating revenue is in interest and dividend uh, payments that have been received because of investable assets. So while the, some of the very big systems have m- multi-millions of dollars, some of them have billions of dollars of investable uh, assets, cash assets, to, re- to get back interest and depreciation, the 50-bed, the 100-bed, the 200-bed hospitals may not but if they do, I want to remind them, and, I, and this also goes for the big systems, I want to remind them that that non-operating revenue can certainly be used to offset some of these margin reductions. It often gets forgotten because in the past, as they were accumulating all these investable assets, they were putting them aside, they were investing them in the, in the markets, et cetera, best practice treasury practices all good. They put it aside for the rainy day. They also put it aside for acquisitions and such. But this is the rainy day. And I don't want them to forget that if there is uh, some cash on their balance sheet, long-term cash that was put aside, don't forget, it's there. This would be the time to use it. Well, great point. Great point. And I do think that's an area where you know, it's not necessarily top of mind. They often think about that, uh, you know, for future rainy days, but hey, this is the rainy day. Well, Steve, I want to thank you for your time. You brought up some great points. Um, really appreciate it. We're going to continue to talk about financial recovery programs and different ways that we can help hospitals 
Shelley, I think as, as Steve was was describing certainly some of the cost reduction activities with the for-profits, there is definitely some lessons learned that the small to mid-sized hospitals can start to incorporate into their plans. I think that pragmatic approach on reducing costs, understanding where to start is really key. But the one area that I think is important that you know, I, I, I think is a big takeaway for many of our listeners is to focus on the cash on hand and how that projection on cash is gonna help to fund operations and at the end of the day, help to improve margins. Absolutely. I really enjoyed some very practical and tangible tips that Steve uh, presented to our listeners. Thank you, Steve. And uh, we also want to thank you, our listeners, for tuning into Value-Based Care Insights podcast by Lumina Health Partners. We at Lumina are your partners on the journey to value-based care. To learn more about us, visit us at LuminaHP.com. And if you found value in today's conversation, subscribe to us on all major podcast platforms, including Apple and Spotify, and leave us feedback. You can also find additional blogs, thought leaderships on topics, and transcript of our podcast episode on our website, LuminaHP.com. Join us again next time, wherein we invite several of our colleagues and industry thought leaders and continue our deep dive in talking about new trends that are emerging as organizations are navigating the new normal. Until then, have a great day and stay safe.